Hi, welcome to James Miller Lifeology, where you learn to simplify and transform your spirit, mind, and body. My name is James Miller. I'm a licensed psychotherapist and a composer. Thank you so much for joining with us today. Let's get started. I really wanted to take a quick second just to thank all of you who continually support and listen to James Miller Lifeology Radio. It has been such an exciting adventure for me. There are so many amazing things that are happening over here that I definitely want to share with you. So for the next few months, every person who signs up for my free newsletter will be entered into a drawing. In this monthly drawing, whomever wins will win a free 30-minute Skype call with me, James Miller. I will help you simplify and transform your spirit, mind, and body. So go to my website, jamesmillerlifeology.com, and sign up for my free newsletter there. Who knows? Maybe you will be the lucky winner. So sign up today. I have a great show for you today. I'm going to help you create realistic expectations should you want to reconcile with your parent. I'll also be interviewing author Stephen Koss, who reviews his book, On Standby, South of Heaven, Coping with Cancer, My Struggle, My Journey, My Growth. This is a powerful book which discusses Stephen's caretaking to his terminally ill, estranged father during the last years of his life. You all know me as a psychotherapist, but some of you may not yet know me as a composer. I currently have two albums which have been released. Think of both albums like books. Each original composition is written like a chapter in a book. The first album, Consolation, explores a character's grief and loss. And just like in any book, the story explores a character's heartache and eventually he finds healing and hope. The second album, Restoration, explores a character's personal development. He has an awakening, and in that awakening, he recognizes all the things in his life which aren't healthy, and it helps him come to a place of restoration, being restored to something greater than before. You may purchase both albums on iTunes or any other digital music store. The names of the albums are Consolation and Restoration, and my stage name is James S. Miller. The name of the piece you are currently hearing is from the second album, Restoration, entitled Restoration. A man stopped at a flower shop to order some flowers to be wired to his mother who lived 200 miles away. As he got out of his car, he noticed a young girl sitting on the curb sobbing. He asked her what was wrong, and she replied, I wanted to buy a red rose for my mother, but I only have 75 cents and a rose costs $2. The man smiled and said, come on in with me, I'll buy you a rose. He bought the little girl her rose and ordered his own mother's flowers. As they were leaving, he offered the girl a ride home. She said, yes, please, you could take me to my mother. She directed him to a cemetery where she placed the rose on a freshly dug grave. The man returned to the flower shop, canceled the wire order, picked up a bouquet, and drove the 200 miles to his mother's house. Reconciliation with a parent. I wanted to review this particular lesson with you because I think it's very important. There are many people with whom I work who have a very estranged relationship with their parent. And by no means does this lesson condone whatever your parent may have done or any behavior or emotional trauma you may have experienced with them. But what I really want us to focus on is a version of reconciliation based on what is healthy for you. One of the biggest things is essentially what does reconciliation mean to you? You know, sometimes we go through life and we're told, well, we should forgive our parents for this, or we should do this, or we should do that. And the reality is, you can do whatever you want to do. 
you have to figure out what is considered healthy for you. Often we respond initially in a way that is very reactive. We're very hurt. We cut off other relationship with the parents. And then that just becomes the norm. And so much time passes over time. Now, sometimes we don't even give it a second thought. As we get older, perhaps that is a sentiment that should be reviewed. Reconciliation itself is based off of what you perceive to be healthy with your parent or with a caregiver. One of the biggest things is to remember is you have control. So when we talk about reconciliation itself, there's really two versions of it. There's the ideal version of reconciliation, and then there is the realistic version of reconciliation. And what I mean by that is sometimes when we're younger, we have all these hopes and dreams that we'll have this strong relationship with our parent. And for whatever reason, we just haven't been able to do that. So when we desire to have this version of reconciliation, we go in with the expectancy that it's going to be amazing or it's going to be perfect. But the reality is it doesn't turn out that way. And then we become really hurt and then it can traumatize us even more. Or vice versa, we may have the expectation that it's just going to be a simple conversation and you're never going to talk to that person again. Almost like a sense of closure. And that is absolutely fine as well. But it is important to have a realistic expectation of what may happen with so much time that's passed between the two of you. One of the main reasons why I wanted to discuss this version of reconciliation is with a lot of the people with whom I work and just people I know in general, once their parent passes away, years later, they'll have a lot of grief. They come to me with a lot of turmoil and they struggle with not having a sense of closure or not perhaps repairing a relationship that could have been repaired. And by no means am I telling you what you should do, but I want to at least plant that thought in your mind that reconciliation is possible based on how you perceive it to be and based on what is healthy for you. So keep that in the forefront of your mind as you go throughout your day. And perhaps today is a day of reconciliation for you. But on the flip side, those of you who have lost a parent, who never really got that closure, perhaps never really got that reconciliation, one of the big things that you can do, and it may sound cheesy up front, but it's really important, is to simply write a letter to that parent who passed away. And in that letter, you want to really pour your heart out. You really want to talk about whatever it was that happened or your perception of that And after you write that letter out, you'll find that it's very cathartic for you. Now, this could be a letter that simply cusses them out if you'd like, or it could be a letter that just really shares your heart in such a heart-wrenching way of how hurt you were by them. But this is the difference maybe from what you've heard before from other people about that type of cathartic letter. But the second part of that that I really want you to hear today is after you write that letter and after you experience that grief, wait a little bit. And then the second part of that is write a letter back to yourself from that deceased parent When you write it back based off of how you think the interaction would have gone should you have had this, the responses they would have to whatever it was that you wrote, to whatever those talking points were in the letter that was maybe very devastating for you, when you hear how they would potentially respond to you, that starts to help you find that closure within yourself, even though you never got the closure when they were alive. So I would really like for you to try that, to practice that. It's not something you can do right away. It's something that's going to take some time as you process the grief once you write the letter. And vice versa, upon reflection, start to write that response from them to yourself. And I can guarantee you that you will find a sense of closure. Today may be your day of reconciliation, or today may be your day of healing. Are you a life coach, author, speaker, and entrepreneur who is serious about getting massive exposure for your business? Well, you need to secure your seat at the inaugural New Media Summit and get the high-level visibility you deserve. Come see me and 39 other high-profile media influencers September 21st to the 24th of 2017 in beautiful San Diego, California. 
At this summit, you will receive detailed training on leveraging and monetizing the power of new media and have a guaranteed face-to-face meeting with me and 39 other high-level media celebrities who could make you famous with the push of a button. Seating is limited, so reserve your spot today. Simply go to my website, jamesmillerlifeology.com, and the first thing you see there is a link to this phenomenal event. Simply click on the link and purchase your ticket today. Remember, this is the number one event for connecting with the world's leading influencers and getting booked on today's most listened to, watched, and read new media outlets. Go to my website, jamesmillerlifeology.com and purchase your ticket today. I look forward to meeting you very soon. My guest today is author Stephen Koss. He is going to share his inspirational story with us today. Stephen's book, On Standby, South of Heaven, Coping with Cancer, My Struggle, My Journey, My Growth, is his autobiography of how he was a caretaker to his estranged father during the last 15 months of his life. Welcome to my show, Stephen. Thank you, James. Thanks for having me. Yeah, it's definitely a pleasure. When you had sent your information to me, I was really reviewing this and I thought, wow, this is something that many people potentially going to have this situation or this encounter later on in life, but you had it at a very young age. And so I think it's really important and and really vital that you share your story with my listeners, because I know that there's going to be a lot of lessons that they will be able to to take away from your interview today. Sure. um, Well, let's start uh, at the beginning here, I guess. Sure. Starting point is, you know, me and my father didn't have a good relationship growing up at all. And uh, I barely saw him maybe a handful of times, you know, Christmas, Thanksgiving and things of that nature. And, but I was always very tight with my grandfather, Jack. And as I got older, I think I was in my mid-20s, and I decided to try and reach back out to my father because we hadn't spoken in many years. And he told me that he had brain cancer on the phone, and, and he kind of made a joke about it and pretty much floored me. Of course because, it would. Because I was trying to, trying to salvage a relationship there still. You know, still I was only 25 at the time when I heard it, the first diagnosis, and uh, I thought time was not going to be on my side at that point. As the years went on, he continued to deteriorate and not take help from anybody. And my grandfather, who was in his 90s, had been picking up the slack and, and running up doctor's appointments and, and trying to make sure he was still living a pretty semi-normal life. So this was your dad's father? Correct. Okay. Yeah, Jack. And he had asked me, you know, I'm going to need your help sometime, Stephen, in the future to come back here and do this. And I was like, well, you know what? I'll do it, but don't call me until it's absolutely necessary. You know, and then that that call finally came, and uh, I decided that I should probably go up there and take action since I was the only person that that probably could. Yeah, and with that, so let me back up for a second. So brain cancer, obviously that's, for most people don't realize, but it's terminal. And so when you heard that, you know, because I believe your parents separated when you were four. And so as you said, you didn't have that much of an interaction with him. So here it is, you're trying to salvage your relationship with your father and have these hopes that, you know, you can interact with each other. And then to hear this and to know that, or probably to assume that it's terminal, and all those hopes and dreams are pretty much dashed, you know, all those years that you didn't have with him. All of a sudden, I'm sure that came flooding back for you. What was, how, how did you even respond to that? I mean, I, what would someone say when like, oh, yeah, I haven't talked to you in a while. By the way, I have brain cancer. How did you, how did you interact with that? Or what did you do? Yeah, I, I remember I was sitting in my mom's living room. I was next to the computer and uh, I, I couldn't even talk for a second because he laughed and I was like, did I just hear that correctly? Yeah. And I, and I tried to set up a time where we could go hang out and um, we were going to go to a ball game and everything. And I got off the phone with him and I just, uh, my mom's looking at me and I just broke down, you know, I just couldn't handle it at that point. And I was floored, you know, it, there's no easy way to take that. No, not at all. You brush it off. Um, you know, everybody's got a plan. They're trying to put stuff together and then 
you know, something, something just pops up. So yeah, you can't take those things well, I guess you gotta, you gotta let your emotions go. I guess if you hold your emotions in and hold them back, it'd be dangerous. So, um, you just let that stuff out and, and, uh, move forward. Yeah. In your career, you were, you were in your own life and all of a sudden your, your grandfather calls you and said, Hey, we, I really need you to come up here and help. What happened for you to say, okay, well, I'm going to make this decision because obviously it's not like, oh, I'm going to be gone for a weekend. It is a life change. It is a huge change. What happened with you to say, okay, I am going to make this change as, these are my words, not yours, as inconvenient as this is for my life, um, as far as, you know, you have your own life over here and then inconvenient in the sense of everything has to change. Uh, For you to go up there and to caretake to your father, what was it within you that said, I'm going to do this regardless of how it could affect, affect you in a different way? Yeah, that was a very difficult decision. To make. I bet. I can't imagine what that feels like. You know, I, I, I given my word earlier, which, you know, I, I, is one of the life lessons there is so important. I think to follow mm-hmm. through. But even when I told my mother that she was like, you know what, you don't have to do this. If you want to do it, that would be honorable and everything. But, you know, you should really think about yourself. And I went out island camping and I was struggling with it all weekend about what I was going to do because I was kind of in a bad spot at that time as well. I was going through a bankruptcy mm-hmm. and uh, life in Florida was getting stagnant for me. And I thought that maybe I would go back up north and I could re-engage in school and I could I could clean up the situation real quick for my, my grandfather and my father's sake and, and move forward. But if I would do that, I would be losing my girlfriend and my friends and Awesome. You know, I live right next to the Gulf of Mexico. It's a great place to live, you know, um, to trade that to go back to Cleveland. And I yeah. thought about it over and over and over on the island that weekend camping. And I was like, you know what? I, I've always wanted to give up a piece of myself for something bigger to for the greater good. I guess you could say I, I wanted to be a do-gooder if I could really make a difference in somebody's life, even if that person had wronged me in the past. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I always think of the movie National Treasure when Nicholas Cage <laughs> talking about those people that have the power to act can act they should act you know and, and yeah. if you're the one that can make that difference then you know it's it, i feel it's your duty to go ahead and and do it and i felt that i wasn't in the best place and, and probably doing something good like that would help me along as well yeah that makes sense that makes a lot of sense so when you got there had you seen your father since he had been diagnosed i saw him uh when i made that phone call we, we had seen each other here and there but uh not in a long time. Yeah, I was uh, I was very shocked when I when I came in and seen uh you know his ribs sticking out and, mm. and you know he looked probably like he weighed a hundred pounds and his hair was overgrown and I was like who is this person? Sure. You know? And I'm uh, sure I'm sure when when children when you know they the memories that they have of their parents um, when you, you see how they are today versus maybe the one of the last memories that you had maybe when you were younger as far as how he's interacted with you. To have those comparisons, you know, to the memory of, of him in, in your mind and then see him like that, what happened for you? Because all of a sudden, maybe the powerful father that you may have remembered all of a sudden is not there. Help me understand the grief, the, what went through your head when you first saw him, when you went back there, you saw the ribs sticking out of his, out of his side, you saw his hair all disheveled. What, what happened for you then? Uh, the reality set in. Mm-hmm. It, it, it kicked me in the stomach and I was like, whoa. This is this is uh, on a scale of one to ten. This is a ten. Yeah. You know, and I I had no idea. I w- I was naive to it, and uh, you know that person that I knew before was gone. The person in front of me was was definitely ill. You know, did, had no memory, and uh, was barely getting through the days. And wow. What I was gonna do, you know, <laughs> was monumental. Yeah. And not not really realizing that. Yeah, it kicked me pretty good that first day. 
And then even in the morning when I first started to try and clean up, you know, we immediately got into a fight and I got thrown out of the house. <laughs> so, oh my gosh. I, it was, it was a tough, it was a tough first wow. day, I, you know, cause that, that house was in such disarray, James. I mean, it was, it was a hoarders episode, man. Mm. It was a male, you know, plumbing wasn't working. That, that was one of the main reasons my grandfather was like, it's time to come up Steven because you know, the phone has been shut off and the gas has been shut off and I need you to come up here and fix this situation. So to go back to the, the original question there, like, you know, yeah, I always looked at my dad as, you know, a strong male role model and, and somebody I was pretty fearful of most of the mm -hmm. time. Because I was always trying to impress him to, to get his love, to show him that I was worthy of being his son to somebody who was just like completely out in left field and, and was barely holding on to life. Yeah. And then for him to kick you out, I'm sure you had those thoughts, which is very normal to think, what in the world? I don't have to do this. I, you know, I, I can get on with my life. You know, if this person is is not appreciative, et cetera. Once again, these are my words. I think it would have been very easy and it would have made sense for you to have just left. Why didn't you? Sure. That, that's a tough thing that I, that I dealt with is um, kind of setting people are always like, this is business. It's not personal. Well, in the beginning it was, it was real personal. Of course it I was. To, I had to separate that to go, this person is sick, Steven. They're not. And maybe they were always were a little sick. You know what I mean? And mm -hmm. you have to separate your feelings. Uh, resentment and being upset with him earlier in your life and go, you know, what's the right thing to do here? Yeah. And, you know, it was, it was a tough day, man. I went back to my grandfather's and I'm like, this house, the house is unlivable. You know, a normal person cannot live there. Mm -hmm. And he's like, well, what are you going to do? <laughs> I'm like, yeah, what am I going to do? I thought, gonna do? <laughs> yeah. So, you know, that was a rough one. And, and why I didn't run away and, and go back home so quickly. I just, um, you know, I, my mom was, was good and kept me focused. And my grandfather, you know, I promised him I would get this done for him. And I saw how hard his life was going on at mm -hmm. that point. He was in his early 90s. And wow. He was going every day to see his wife in the nursing home. And he sat there for eight hours. And then he was dealing with my dad's not so Oh, my gosh. Wow. I, I didn't want to leave him to do that by himself. So I, I really wanted to stay for him and, and yeah. get through it. Yeah, which, which I think is – it doesn't matter what I think, but it's just a very noble – noble gesture that you did that's part of just shows the character of who you are did things change at all between you and your father you said he had lost some memory uh, was was he able to maybe be a little appreciative of you being there of helping what what really happened there as your relationship kind of un unfolded a bit he came around i mean in the beginning it was so difficult because i had to get him removed by the police and i had to get him put into the hospital and then to like a mental ward to clean the house and when I brought him back in, oh, my God, the fights, you know. Oh, I bet. Sometimes they were getting physical. He was that upset with me. And later on, probably about four or five months in, it flipped around to, I love you. I love you. I love you. You're the best thing that I've ever mm. done, which was hard for me to grasp because. Yeah, of course it was. <laughs> your whole life and then getting it thrown at you like, uh, you know, it's water coming out of the faucet. Yeah. Was a little too much. But um, he, he did come around in the end. His memory, he had a pretty good long-term memory, but his short-term memory was, was 10 second time. Oh, wow. I think the one time when the healing started really was... Uh, the emotional he, healing between you two, you mean? Yeah. When, okay. I, when I changed, he, I was cooking dinner and he came up to me and he said, the neighbor said I abandoned you and your sister as, as children. Is that true? Hmm. I said, well, you know, I wouldn't go abandoned, but you weren't, you weren't there like you were supposed to be there. And, and that was the first time that he realized that he had hurt us. Wow. 
and I felt that was like the, the biggest bridge, you know, to, to healing our family and making us whole again. Uh, it was a, it was a fantastic afternoon. And, and after that, things started to turn around a little better. Yeah. I, I, that's such a powerful, powerful moment. I mean, that's, that I, I just, as I'm, as I'm hearing this is, I just, you know, moved by that because to have him realize that in a very, you know, maybe come up and just randomly say something, catches you off guard, but that random comment literally changed your life, really started to have that healing process for you, for him, for, for your sister, Brianna, for all these other people. It's, it's, it's just incredibly powerful. I wanted to ask you this though, when he came up and said that to you, you know, and as, as I'm hearing this for you to say, well, I wouldn't say it was abandoned, but is that, did you find that you were still trying to be maybe the peacemaker in that? Because, you know, he would, if you say something, you have all these, all your personal feelings, but you're trying to caretake to him. You're trying to, you know, be able to keep the peace in that house. I'm sure that was very difficult for you not to have all those years of feeling like he was not there and then respond in a way. I mean, I'm sure that was just a really conflictual time for you and how to express yourself in the most diplomatic way. By, by that point, being yeah, I am the peacemaker. I am the diplomat. That's the Libra in me. <laughs> like I've always felt that role. And I, I find myself in. But prior to that, we had we had gotten into a, a physical fight, and mm. uh, you know he had uh, I was I was ready to just unload on him because I was yeah. like, here's 31 years of just built up resentment coming out. Obviously, that didn't happen because he realized that I was much stronger than him. Sure. And I, I kind of got that stuff out of my system, but you know, holding back tears and. and almost some sadness and joy at the same time because yeah. it was like he's sick but he's telling me he gets it and that he and it was the first time he actually really apologized you know which i didn't think was he was capable of doing mm-hmm. so yeah keeping that stuff together um one thing that helped really keep me together was going to school and and, and training you know oh, i would okay. up extra early and train every morning and then i'd come back and i'd get him up feed him his medicine feed him his breakfast you know get everything ready for the day uh, I, and I was engaged in class and then I would come back and, um, you know, get dinner prepared and keep going through the normal activities of our day. Uh, but holding on, I mean, my mom was there for me on the weekends. Uh, I would usually go see her and, uh, that's when I'd spill all the emotional stuff about yeah, what happened. Of course. <laughs> she would just sit there and listen, like good people are, that's all we want to do in those situations. Like I said, when you find yourself in that situation, you just want to talk about it, get it off your chest yeah. and get that emotion out and you'll feel a lot better. You don't want to carry that baggage around with you. Yeah, exactly. And that was one of the questions I wanted to ask you was who was the people who, uh, who really helped you? Because just like you said, I mean, you're overwhelmed. You have to have someone, you have to have an outlet. You have to have a way to release these emotions, these thoughts, these, everything that's happening. So I'm glad to hear that your mom was there. Your stepfather was there. I'm so glad to hear these things. Did you find that, you know, let me back up. Some people have, um, faith as well, their own faith in a higher power of some sort. Did you have that as well? Sure. I, I, I prefer to use the word the source okay. over God just uh-huh. because uh, I just believe every time I was, I was raised in a Catholic school and I think of God as a, a bearded man on a cloud. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> I like the source of the energy of love. Sure. Um, you know, yeah, there's something that we're, we're cut from the cloth of yeah. that makes who we are and, and gives us, you know, all kinds of special powers here on this, in this third dimension or whatever you want to call it, or, you know, earth and looking to those people as well. Father John's my, my father always hated the church when we were younger. My mom was very religious and he started, he wanted to be Catholic and he was going to Catholic classes, you know, once a week and then going to church and he was super psyched about it. He wanted to talk to me about it all the time. And that was really helping him get through. Uh, at one point, I, you know, you think is this person, doing this because they're afraid they're going to die mm. and they're going to hell or 
are they doing it sure. not because they see the error of their ways and, and they want to be a more peaceful person. Uh, either way, it's good that he was getting to that stuff towards the end. Yeah, that, I think that is powerful. Yeah, regardless of the reason why someone does it, it over time, the more you study something, you become more proficient at it. And so if it came from a sense of fear, I'm going to die versus now nah, this is an intrinsic change because I'm excited about learning something. This is something that I'm starting to become passionate about. So that's wonderful that he himself, you know, it sounds like he had a real turning point in his own life from maybe how he was when he was, when you were younger to where he was towards the end of his own life. So I'm glad to hear that you were able to turn to the source that you were able to confide and have that, um, have those people in your life and have all these other things to help you alleviate your own emotional turmoil, your own struggles as well. So that's absolutely wonderful to hear that. One thing I wanted to ask you as well is, so as you were, as you were going through your own changes, your own understanding of this, you know, you're at this time, you're what, 31 prior to him dying. So you're 31 years old and that is so young. And to have all of a sudden the role of the caretaker to have to learn so many things that most people would have to learn when their parents are 80, 90, because your father was only, he passed away when he was 64. So he was so young. For you to have to be put in that role, how did you, how did you kind of internalize all that? Because you're 31, you're in your own career, you're trying to do, you're going to school, doing all these things, and all of a sudden you're in this role that's usually designed for people who are much older than you. How did you put all that together to be the person you are today? Well, I knew, I knew it was going to come down the road. You know, he had been diagnosed and he had outlived their diagnosis by seven years. You know, oh my gosh. Wow. So I knew the time was going to come eventually. Uh, I put it together, you know, I got up there and I, my head was spinning like a top James. I had, no, I had no idea where to go or what to do. And then I started just making phone calls and knocking on doors. And I was able to hook up with a great attorney named Pat Trapp and, and she really helped me guide it. And uh, I was able to, Jennifer, a great social worker really helped me out. Oh, that's wonderful. You know, uh, my cousin Barb, who was the legal guardian, because I was not a uh, resident of Ohio at the time, uh-huh. she handled all the real financial stuff, signing checks, and she was there with me all the time. Now, being with my grandfather, you know, we were seeing each other all the time. And even though he doesn't communicate verbally so much, he was my rock. Mm-hmm. There. Uh, and, and to put that stuff all together and come to terms with it, I, I'm always looking for another challenge. And, and you think life just you accomplish one huge thing and then it, it, man, it just raises the bar on you again. <laughs> it certainly does. Yes. You're like, calm down. I need a break. I need a break. I just need something. Yeah. The, the help of everybody around me. Um, you know, I, I spent every Saturday night at my friend Greg's house as a, just an escape. You know, I, I put my dad down to bed and I'd be out of there and just spend the night. So just being around other people, keeping myself occupied uh, through training and schoolwork and just directing my thoughts, mm-hmm. you know, to the positive things. Um, I know I was just listening to one of your uh, YouTube clips there for the, the three second rule. Oh yeah. <laughs> and yeah. And it, it's so important that you have so many thoughts a day. I think, you know, they say 40, 50,000. It's mm-hmm. like, them and the right path, they become so much more powerful and you won't have where, you know, all this stress just overwhelms and kills you. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And that's the thing. I mean, with going back to that three second rule, you literally have three seconds to make the decision of what's the healthiest choice. And if not, we automatically go on autopilot and we literally do the things that we know in the long run isn't healthy for us, but it's status quo. It's mediocre. It's something we don't have to have this emotional change of, oh my gosh, it's too much work to do something. I know that's healthier for me. So it is it's really good to hear you know, this side of, of the story 
as I'm talking to you as far as how you've gotten the other side of it. And of course, there's still going to be grief as you go through the whole process because obviously losing a parent and having all those situations happen, I mean, that, that's going to take some time for you to really compartmentalize them and put them in the order of how they make sense for you. So I, I'm really glad to hear this. You know, I'm really honored that you're you know, obviously telling your story with us today. You know, one thing I really was happy about when I was reading your book, you know, just even the preface, you were talking and you were really thanking the people around in, in your community, in your neighborhood who did something, you know, that they, someone cut the grass or someone maybe helped with the plumbing or someone helped, you know, with some of the repairs. And I think that's just such a beautiful testament to the community in general that when we need help, we just simply have to ask. And I think sometimes we can get so caught up in our own world and in our own life that we forget that there's so many well-meaning people that want to be able to help us, you know? And I think you just, even people that may know someone who's struggling with, with um, a terminal illness or seeing a caretaker working with, with, her, with her family, I think often on the outside, we're like, well, I, I can't do anything. But just a simple thing of, hey, can I do your laundry? Or do you mind if I cut the grass? I mean, I think that's just a beautiful testament of all the people around you. And I'm just so happy to hear that your, your community, your support system was so supportive in many ways. Sure, people show up when you least expect it, mm-hmm. you know? And I was, I think I wrote in there, it's like, uh, I read in this one book, Gary Spence, he's like, you know, we got to take a lesson from a dog. When a dog wants some, they want affection, or they want, they come right up to you. They're not yeah. scared to ask him. Uh, a friend would always tell me, he's like, Steven, you don't G-E-T unless you A-S-K. And I was like, <laughs> <That's> right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> people came out of the woodwork. My uncle would come over. My cousin came over. My best friend came over. You know, people just would, would start showing up and helping me. And I, I felt embarrassed, you know, to ask at a certain point because, you know, no one wants to talk about a, a brain cancer situation and uh, a house that's, you know, been ordered like, and, uh, you know, I really need your help. Can you drop everything on Tuesday and come over and, and yeah. help me with the plumbing? So, yeah, a lot of people really showed up when I needed it. And I sometimes you think you're just all alone, you know, but family will be there for you sometimes when you least yes. expect. It. And, and yes, there are a bunch of great people in this world, and especially in this country. It's like, People are always talking about the news and the bad things that are happening. I'm like, hey, man, we don't live in Baghdad. Like, mm-hmm. there's not stuff blowing up there. This is a great place, and there's good people out there. There really are. And you just got to reach out, and they'll reach out right back. Uh, that's one of the lessons that I, that I learned through that. You know, so you wrote this book, and do you consider yourself an author? I mean, Boy, I, you know, going to school, English is not my strong point. I mean, I wrote that book like 20 times. Two of my answer authors, so I had them go through it. My mom's very proficient. And and currently, I'm writing a second book, which is almost done. And, and geez, if I look at that book, I'm like, man, my writing is like jump 10. Oh, really? Okay. <laughs> but, you know, I think it's amazing just the catharsis or just that, that emotional release that we have when we write something. You know, that's why some people journal or that's why people write, you know, a goodbye letter, if, even if they don't send it. That ability to conceptualize your thoughts and to put them in order and then to put them on paper is one of the most emotional healings we can have. You know, sometimes with my patients, I'll even tell them, if you want an even more, a deeper, I guess, catharsis or release, you actually write with your opposite hand. And that actually kind of switches the brain functionality of how you process things, which actually helps you, sometimes has you respond in a, a slightly different way than what you expected because you usually process things slightly different. So that's a whole other thing. But I'm so glad to hear that you were able to write this amazing book. I mean, it's, it's a wonderful book. Um, and to be able to put your thoughts down. And I know that it's going to be able to help so many people as well. Well, Stephen, if my listeners would like to find out more information about you and your book and even your upcoming book, where would they find that information online? 
Sure. My website is readcostsks.myfreesites.net, or they can find my book on Standby South of Heaven over on Amazon for $2.99, or you can hit up Creative Space for a printed copy. Excellent. Well, Stephen, I'm actually going to put your book on my website as well. So those of you who'd like to buy his book, you can go to my website, jamesmillerlifeology.com, and it'll be in my storefront. Or you can also go to Amazon as well and buy it there. So Stephen, I want to thank you so much for your time today. Thank you for sharing your book on Standby South of Heaven, Coping with Cancer, your struggle, your journey, your your growth, all of that. I really want to thank you for your time and energy you shared with us today. I know my listeners have really been touched by that, and I'm appreciative of your transparency in your story today. Thank you, James. Thanks for having me. I also want to thank you, my listener, for joining with me today. Please subscribe to this radio show through whichever portal you joined with me. Also, please go to my website where you may sign up for my newsletter, enroll in the Lifeology Academy, watch my YouTube episodes, and read all the articles I've written just for you. If you'd like to become a guest or advertise on my show, simply visit jamesmillerlifeology.com. You may also follow me on all social media platforms under the name James Miller Lifeology, except for Twitter, which is James M. Lifeology. Have a fantastic day, and I look forward to speaking with you very soon.